Welcome to another episode of Retrovaniacs. This is the first of our October slash Halloween episodes. Uh, this one we're going to just dip our toes into the Halloween part, so no sound effects and goofiness. I guarantee the next show I'm going to overdo and everyone will hate it. But I'm very excited that it's going to happen. Uh, but before we get to next week's show, perhaps we should do this week's show. Uh, I am Jeremy Parmentier, one of your hosts, along with Jeremy Gregory. Hey there. And Billy Holiday. Hello. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about uh, haunting for the Sega Genesis. Uh, But before we get to that, every week we like to go around and ask each other, what have you been playing? I'll start this week. I decided I was going to play Zombie U, uh, even though I've already beaten it before. I wanted to go back and play it again to get into the mood. But it turns out Zombie U terrifies small children. So I played it for about three minutes (laughs) and decided that was not a solid choice for me, uh, since I only really get to play while I'm watching a one-year-old. So instead I played Pikmin 3 again. Uh, I... I can't remember the last time I've actually replayed a game in full that's a fairly recent game that I just finished, and I'm loving every second of it. Does Pikmin not scare small children also? Uh, no, he doesn't seem to mind Pikmin. They make cute little noises even when they're dying, and it has happy little music, and they're just big bugs. I mean, it's nothing too terrifying. Uh, he doesn't seem to be scared of it at all. So it, it's a game that's working out for me just fine to play. But, I mean, like I said, it's the, it's the first game in a long time that I've actually felt like, you know, I save a lot of games because I'm, I'm going to replay this someday and I'm going to go back and 100% it. And I never do because there's a million other games to play. But I actually went back when I'm playing this and I'm getting, you know, all the fruit and I'm making sure to kill every optional boss and, and I'm really cleaning this game out and I'll definitely do it again. I love this thing. I mean, what is it really? I mean, do you like RTS games in general? Because I tried, last Pikmin I played was on GameCube, and I'm not very good with RTS games in general. And I found myself having the same pitfalls with Pikmin that I did with, uh, you know, other stuff like StarCraft. I, I know it's a lot simpler than those games, but uh, still, just, just the way that you have to use multiple units and stuff like that, I, I can never do that very well for very long because I have the attention span of, you know, a, a five year old. So I've just never been able to to really get into it. Like, what what are you really, what what is the secret to getting into Pikmin? I'm not a huge RTS fan. I'm always a fan of those games, like StarCraft, for example. I was super into StarCraft at first until everyone else got so good at it that it just became a speed race, and then I lose interest. Uh, I like the concept of of real time strategy games. I like the idea that I'm managing a whole army that I can kind of take and do different bit, bits. But I don't like the multiplayer part because within two weeks I'm already at the back of the you know, the bottom of the level, bottom of the curve. I'm not good at just, not that I'm not good at just speed, you know, speeding through the level, but I get bored with it very quickly. And so then I lose interest in trying to get more and more efficient. Pikmin's nice because it's one player. Uh, it has multiplayer, but then it's kind of a co-op multiplayer and it's only one level at a time. It's not like you play through the whole game. Uh, so for me, it's just, it's kind of a very relaxed RTS game. So if you like RTS games, but you don't like the rush of it, I think Pikmin's a perfect mix of that. Um, but right. it's also just the... It is so simple as compared to you know StarCraft or WarCraft or any of the more involved real-time strategy games. This is you know you only really have five units to mess with, and especially at the beginning, you really only deal with one or two at a time. It's not until you get to the very end where you're trying to 100% it that you really need to use all five units. Um, it was just nice to play a game that I actually saved to play again that I'm going to really play again. All right, I, I I eventually want to try it out myself. Well, what have you been playing, Jeremy? Oh, man. Uh, well, since the last podcast, I, for the people that listened to it, I was on uh, Xbox One back at the time. And since then, I've kind of got everything, or most things, back to where they should be. 
Uh, but I've still been playing Rare Replay on the Xbox One. And I know I was talking about uh, Banjo-Kazooie and, and stuff like that. And I've still been playing that. But I was going through each game because you get an achievement for starting up each game. And I did that because I'm insane. But <laughs> as you go, as you're going through these, I was like, I, I got to Blast Corps. And I never played that as a kid. I, I always saw it at the video store and was like, this, this kind of looks weird. You like, it's this top down thing. Uh, you, you play with like a bulldozer and you're trying to make a path for this, uh, truck with a nuclear bomb attached to it. And it just, I, I never could, I never rented it. And so I, I, I just played it for a little bit on this rare replay uh, collection and man, is it fun? I'm actually legitimately mad that I never rented it as a kid because I would have loved this. Uh, it, it's it's just so. Did you guys play play this game back in the day? Uh, I'm in the same spot as you. I saw it uh, many times, but for whatever reason, I just I I never gave it a shot. I had that. I actually had it on the 64. I only had a handful of Nintendo 64 games because I I didn't own it. My brothers owned it, uh, and one of the ones I had was Blast Core. I got it as a free copy from uh, the game store I worked at. They used to give us kind of once a month or or once every couple months. I'd get a free game from the manager. Um, because they would get games to demo and, you know, they were supposed to not give them out. But if, as long as they didn't sell them, they didn't really care what you did with them. Uh, and I got Blast Corps, and when I tried it at first, I thought it was a little repetitive and not really something I was into. Like, I thought it was a neat concept, but not really something that had a lot of staying power. But then I went on vacation with my family for the last time that I'll ever do so, uh, as a child at least. I mean, I'm going to do it with my family as an adult, but then it's to take my kids on vacation. But this is the last family vacation we took where we were all just kids. I must have been 22, which is too old to go on a family vacation. And my brothers brought the 64, and I brought any games I had just in case I would have time sitting around. And about three days in on this week-long vacation, I got so sunburned and extremely hungover that I, the next full day, I couldn't leave the house. I was just, I was dark red and, I mean, blistery, just a mess. I probably had sun poisoning, but I didn't know any better. Uh, so I sat in the house, and I played Blast Corps all day long. And, and at some point, that game becomes incredible. You go to other planets, and the physics totally change around, even though you're still having the same sort of gameplay, uh, where you're just sliding your car around into buildings, or by the time you go into space, into other mountains and other things that are on, on you know, desolate planets. It's awesome. It's such a good game. I mean, I think it just doesn't... It takes long enough to get to where it gets interesting, but you can't just jump into those levels because they don't make any sense until you've really mastered the earlier controls. But I, I love that game, so I'm glad you gave it a shot. Yeah, and it's... Uh, you know, even the early levels, none of them are very long, and it didn't seem like it was very hard, you know, to, to get through in the first place. Uh, but it was still... It, it really kept my attention. It moves fast enough that it, I just kept wanting to play each level... Or even going back to the the previous level and trying it again, uh, yeah, that's I, I think I really want to play through that game. It's it's far more fun than I ever figured it would be, and that's generally what I've been playing. Now, does does N sixty four qualify as as one of the systems we're covering? Uh, yes, uh, we stopped at I believe what what we were talking about was the uh, PlayStation two and Xbox and GameCube. That was our cutoff point. We would not go further than the sixty four and the PSX. Okay. Dreamcast was kind of in a gray area or something. Well, I, if, I can definitely add that to the list because I would love to play through that again. And I still have it on the N64. So even though I don't have an Xbox One and I was told explicitly I will not be getting anything new, that I can, <laughs> I can probably play it on the 64 and, uh, and keep up with everybody else. So that's I think that, I think that would be fun. I, it's, it's such a great game. And like I said, I'm so pissed off I never played it back when I was a kid because it is 
I, I would have absolutely loved it. It's it's so much fun. So, Billy, what were you playing since last time we talked? Well, not much has changed. Uh, a little Metal, Metal Gear Solid Five, But, however, this would be the last week that I will be saying that that's what I've been playing for the majority of the week because I concluded it. I picked up what I uh, have believed to be all of the endings for it. Uh, and now I'm just going to probably venture back every now and then to play some of the uh, optional missions and a little bit of the online and I've been playing a lot of Destiny again, because I think I said the last podcast, uh, they've actually made it a, a full, uh, legitimately fun game now. So I've been playing a lot of that also. Now for Metal Gear Solid, now you beat it. I did. I've heard that uh, a lot of people do not care for the story as it goes. So I'm, I'm still very early in the game myself. Uh, how, how did the story treat you? As, as someone, a fellow Metal Gear Solid player uh, that, that has played through everything... For those early games, I mostly played through them for the story, but so far I'm not seeing too much in Metal Gear Solid Five. You know, and uh, and we had, uh, I feel like I've been coaching Jeremy along because he he's he's almost thrown in the towel on this Metal Gear a few times because Three like or four he said, times. yes, he plays for the story, but oddly enough, uh, after the after really the opening kind of intro mission, it, it's very light on the story until you get maybe about halfway in, but then it really kicks in. And yeah, that the the ending, which I didn't have any troubles with, uh, uh, very polarizing. It seems like a lot of people don't mind it, and a lot of people hate it. I will say that I thought uh, this altogether was probably one of the better Metal Gear games. I, and like any good Metal Gear game, by the time it was over, I was completely satisfied, yet totally unsatisfied. And that's that's the mark those games usually reach for. I think the biggest thing for me is that Snake's kind of a a silent protagonist this time. I mean, he talks and stuff, especially like if you listen to the tapes, but generally he, he doesn't say, t- or he hasn't so far said too much through the story at all. And, you know, and uh, he doesn't really, uh, it doesn't really pick up too much as you go along. And, and, and the rumor online, of course they brought a uh, Kiefer Sutherland fell in for this one, who does a good job when he, when he's actually speaking on there. But uh, a lot of people seem to speculate that he was uh, too expensive to hire for a, a, I guess, a longer amount of time. I don't know if that's true or not because, I mean, I figure they probably threw enough money at this game as it is. But, yeah, Snake is uh, surprisingly very quiet for most of this game, and he's usually a pretty chatty character. But even even with the ending that might might not be sufficient uh, to most people, you still think as as a whole it's a really solid Metal Gear? That's what I've heard from a lot of people is they love the game itself. They, they like everything about it, but the story is just kind of there. I think the game, uh, the game itself, yeah, uh, gameplay-wise, as far as uh, actually sitting down and playing it, I think it's the best time I've had uh, with a Metal Gear game. I think it's just it's uh, the most polished, uh, not just graphics-wise, but control-wise, that the series has ever been. And, uh, I mean, I don't know what people wanted. And I think that's the trouble. People, I don't think, know, I don't think people knew what they wanted. Uh, from the conclusion, I assume the conclusion of the series, at least properly. Uh, so yeah, people are just going to complain, I guess. They would complain no matter what. I'm sure they're just waiting to tie the story up with the inevitable dance game tie-in to finish the series off, so that'll be fun. I'll play that one. I won't play the rest, but I'll play the dance game tie-in. Guaranteed. It's my kind of thing. I'll pre-order the hell out of that. Well, a horrible Metal Gear game, but a good game in its own right. This week, we are actually going to talk about Haunting, starring Poltergeist for the Sega Genesis. 
I had owned this game, uh, well, you know, when I had a Sega Genesis, and I, I played it uh, for a web, you know, a, a review we did on the uh, OMG Jeremy website, uh, I think so, or maybe for my own website before that. But either way, I had reviewed Haunting within the last 10, 15 years uh, as one of those kind of forgotten, kind of weird games with a neat potential. So I'm very familiar with it. Did you guys play this before uh, this two-week period? I uh, I never got to play this when I was a kid. I believe I mentioned on the previous podcast that this was uh, always at my video store when I didn't have a Genesis, and I would browse that gen- those Genesis Genesis shelves. I just was so much jealousy because there were so many games I wanted to play, and The Haunting was one of those because the the cover art was so gloriously terrible but awesome at the same time, and the back of it looked awesome. I mean. It was a really neat original idea. It seemed like, you know, you're playing as a ghost, you're scaring a family in a mansion using these various, you know, types of ways to haunt them. And I always wanted it. And then I finally got my Genesis and I went to that video store to rent it and someone had stole the game and they never got another one in. So I, I never, ever got to play it until now. There are no victimless crimes. No, no, not at that video store. But I, uh, I had actually, I have encounters with this game uh, as a child. I had rented it on uh, two occasions. The first time I had progressed pretty far through, but I had to, I had to take it back uh, before I could complete it. And the second time I rented it, I, uh, I made it all the way to a certain point in the game where the game itself just became, just became too incredibly frustrating for me, which I think we'll probably speak about this area in detail as we go along. So I, I never completed this game at the time, but I, I have plenty of knowledge over it. It's not one you quickly forget. Yeah, it, it's got a very interesting concept. Uh, you know, thinking back to you know the Sega Genesis time frame, even even current games really. But it's not. It's kind of hard to say what it is. It's an isometric action game, sort of. Uh, you, you play as Polterguy, uh, who is a ghost of a essentially a Bart Simpson ripoff. Uh, who has been killed by this family's negligence, the Sardini family, and so you've decided that your goal is to haunt them uh, out of their houses. Uh, pretty much that's the whole story of the game. Um, in order to scare them, though, it's not like you can run in and scare them yourself. You know, Beetlejuice style, you have to find a way to scare them, um, you know, with objects around their house. So you'll you'll be able to jump into, say, a couch and use some of your life meter which is an ectoplasm meter and it will make the couch do things like jump up and down while they sit next to it or um dartboards will have blood come out of the dartboard and like turn into an eyeball there's a lot of neat little things there's probably i want to say like 400 items uh in between the houses there are four houses you go through um and scare each of the four family members out of all houses so the first level is one house you have all four family members you got to scare all four of them out of the house and once you do that you get to go to um the worst part of the game and then go to the next house after that i I think the game really has two pieces to it uh the 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 actual haunting piece in the house and that's the interesting part the part they show you in the back of the box the part you want to play and then they have this underworld piece that's kind of an action game uh but is absolutely miserable and i'm pretty sure that's what billy was talking about earlier that's what I'm talking about. I, as a kid, I thought that this was like, the, the, for some reason, I thought this was a basement level. But I, obviously, I, I assume this is hell, because uh, that's what it is to play. Uh, the, uh, the part in the mansion, or the houses, it's fun enough. And yeah, it's the part that, uh, of course, the game is going to advertise. But once you get down to these, this hell level, 
the, the fun is gone. It's all gone. The fun has been scared out of this game. But before we go much further, I, I had a trouble. I had a moral dilemma with this game as a kid, and and uh, and I still recall it to this day. Now you're going in, and yes, uh, this the not the family themselves has caused your your wrongful death, but just the father. And, and I always had the trouble. Why punish the entire family? Uh, there's kids in there for God's sake. Why punish the children also? You this know, kid but, is relentless. Like, he wants these people miserable for the rest of their lives. He doesn't just stop after he makes them run out of one house. Like, they go to the next one. He follows them. And he, all the way to the very end, like, he is, he, he just wants these people, you know, scared shitless for the rest of their lives. I, I thought that was kind of kind of crazy for, for this character. It's really weird. Well, the, I don't know why he would have to go through the extra houses. That's not really how, uh, how poltergeists seem to work, but... Um... It, it doesn't necessarily matter that the, the fun is in getting the people scared enough to run out of so that the house will have, let's say, six rooms in it. And you'll have one member of the house in their bedroom or a living room or whatever. And you scare them out of the room by using different items by possessing them. Uh, there are some items that you just possess by jumping in and out of. And then after a few seconds, it will do whatever its little reaction is. Uh, there are also other items that you actually control. Uh, there's a garage section in the first house where you can control some mice that jump out of like a garbage can. And you can drive them around the room at the family member, causing them to go in a certain direction. Uh, and eventually they'll run through their house till they get to uh, one of the main exits from the house. And then they leave the house. Um, I, I don't know. I thought the, the idea of, of how you scare them. Uh, you can't just sit there and use every single item in every room because you only have so much ectoplasm, which is your life bar in the house. And every time you possess something, it takes a little bit of ectoplasm. If you can scare the, the family member out of the room, they'll drop ectoplasm wherever they were in the room and it stays there for a second. So you have to rush around and pick up all the ectoplasm again. Uh, in the first mansion, that's, that's more than enough to where unless you're really being careless or don't know how to play, you shouldn't need to go to the underworld section. If you run out of ectoplasm, you go to that underworld action section to regain all your ectoplasm. You can't die in the mansion. You can only get sent to, uh, I guess, to hell, essentially. Uh, but you can die in the underworld section, and there are plenty of things that try to hurt you. There are just fires that burst out of the ground. There are arms that try to grab you. There are, there's pretty much any terrible action, uh, action game item that can possibly hurt you is in the hell section and meanwhile all you're doing is running around that area trying to dodge getting hit by things grabbing little ectoplasm balls on your way to the exit and, and calling that area an action section is is being generous at best it, it's so needless it seems like they needed something else you know they needed you, you couldn't just sit there and scare these people constantly so they were like, what, what can we do to bring this back a little so, you know, you have to manage your, your powers a little bit better? And that seemed like it was the answer, and it was the wrong answer because it is no fun at all just sitting there waiting for those ectoplasm drops to, to drop from the ceiling. And for the most part, it seemed like just about everywhere they would drop was going to be a place where something was going to come out and hurt you, where a pit was going to fall on the floor. A lot of it seemed very cheap and... Like you said, after you, you don't really deal with it too much during the first two mansions. It, it starts to pop up in the second mansion more than the first, but 
uh, once you get to that third mansion, it is it's uh, you, you're doing it a hell of a lot more than you ever want to do. And I uh, that was the point where I stopped the game. I it not only was it just doing the same thing over and over again, but it was making me go to those hell levels, and they are hell for having too much fun actually playing the game. So it it really felt like the game was punishing me at some point. Yeah, and uh, that's the same feeling I got. And you know, you try to be uh, strategic with uh, with your your ectoplasm you have on there, with kind of your selection of of what items you're going to use to scare this family. Uh, the only problem is I, I don't really know how strong of a strategy you can form. As a kid, I thought you could scare them. You could jump in items and kind of herd them towards the door. Playing it this time, I don't think you can. I think it's just completely random where they run to. And a lot of times, uh, the family member will run just deeper into the house. I encountered that a lot. Or they'll run back and forth between two rooms. Yeah, yeah. So you'll scare them, and you'll get your ectoplasm, so you don't have to go, go back to the awful level. But still, you're doing the same scares in the same room over and over and over again. Uh, especially in the later mansions, I found that to be more of a problem. Um, the other the other thing in the house that will stop you from scaring them is their dog for whatever reason their dog can see you well it makes sense later on why their dog can see you but their dog can see you and uh and every time the dog's in the room with you when you're scaring them it essentially calms the family down so you'll most likely run out of ectoplasm if you keep trying to scare them in a room with the dog Uh, so you'll have to go to those levels to regain your ectoplasm and also in between each house so once you get all four members to leave the house uh, from the first, second, and third houses, you are then sent to that hell level to basically transfer yourself to their next house. I guess um, you know that that's how poltergeists transfer through through hell caverns. Uh, the downside with the hell levels, other than that, they're also boring and uh, well, not boring as much as incredibly frustrating. Uh, is that's the, if you die there, you die. That's it. You can't die in the house. You just get sent to hell. If you die in hell, that's your game. Start again. Yeah, and especially like it, with how long it can take to actually scare those family members out of there it if you die in that hell level especially like in level three or something like that i you you just don't want to do that again it's it's so tedious after a while this is one of those games that makes an incredible first impression because it's uh you get into it you know you really do feel like beetlejuice you know you're going around possessing shit scaring you know these people to, to death and it's it's really neat for that first house uh but you just you get to the point where uh, those those hell levels just don't make it worth it, and especially if you die, you don't want to do that stuff again because it can take so long to get some of those people to to get out of that house and going through all those rooms and everything like that. I I got to the point where I just didn't want to do that anymore. Yeah, and, and as a kid, that's what happened to me. I made it to the uh, the, the last hell, hell level after the third house, and and died on. I was pretty sure it was the last boss at that time. I did confirm uh, this time when I played through that I had made it all the way to that last boss and died. And the sheer amount of time put into it and have to start over, uh, I just couldn't do it. But yeah, ne- never before have I, pl- have I played a game that just, it's fun and then it just puts the brakes on it uh, so quickly and it just becomes a chore. Well, I think it's like, you get to this, especially in the second mansion, it seemed for me, the first mansion, it seemed like you could scare them out after a couple of rooms. But once start, once you got into that second mansion, it seemed like it could take three, four, five or six rooms for the, for you to eventually scare them out. And I don't know what, you know, you really all you get in the game to see how scared they are is a small graphic in the bottom right hand corner. 
and it says if they're you know calm or if they're super scared or whatever. It, it really never says, though, how close they are to running out of the house completely. So they can be really, really scared, but you can still chase them around to three different rooms before you actually scare them out. And once you're in those rooms, you know, it can take a good, you know, two or three minutes of, of going around to each little thing, scaring them before they eventually run out into the next room or, or if they eventually run out of, of the house completely. And, and that was it, it got really tiring, especially if they run right back into the same room that they were just in. And I, I couldn't deal with that. Well, and also at the later levels, um, you know, we mentioned that the dog is kind of the only danger in the house. But in the later mansions, actually, there are uh, essentially green skull ecto beasts is what they're called that will yeah, show up that. after a while. Uh, and they, along with getting in your way and, and causing problems, um, they really just soak up the ectoplasm that the family drops so that you can't refill yours. Again, forcing you to go through the painful hell levels again to get I didn't back even to know what those things were. I yeah. didn't notice that they were actually sucking up the ectoplasm. I would see them, but I, d- I never actually knew what they were doing. Maybe it's because I didn't get very far, but I was just like, what the fuck is that thing? But usually I didn't see them until I soaked up the majority of the ectoplasm, yeah. so that's why I didn't notice. They basically fly over the ectoplasm and, and it vanishes. It doesn't have like a sucking up animation or any right. time. They okay. just kind of fly over it and it goes away. But there's so, in those later mansions, you don't get as much ectoplasm when you scare people out of the room, so you've really got to be efficient with how you're scaring them. Um, I've actually never beaten it. I, I did make it to the last boss, and it's insanely hard, and it doesn't make any sense. It comes out of nowhere. Uh, and then I gave up and just watched the Let's Play because I wasn't going to play through that again. Even with save states, I thought, no, I don't care enough to to play this over and over again to figure out how to beat this guy. Let me just watch it. And I'm glad I didn't waste my time on it. Billy, did you actually finish this this time? Oh, I did. I oh. did. I, uh, I made it actually to that third mansion pretty handily, and I made pretty good time on it, even though I really I felt like I played through the entire game and I really don't have any strategy I could impart. On, I have no tips I could impart on anybody as far as, as what to do. Uh, but yeah, I got down to that hell level, and yeah, but save states all the way. There's no way I could have beat that last boss uh, at the time all those years ago. You do finally you get a weapon of some sort. You get what only appears like a like a red grenade type thing, uh, but you don't have uh, you can't determine the range. You can only throw it long range. So there's a lot of this weapon arcing over the enemies. You got to line it up just right, and the the, the final enemy is a like a big brown blob that kind of splits into a lot of uh, small, I guess, spider-looking creatures, and you have to you have to hit each one of those, and they're constantly moving, so it, it's almost impossible to really line up that shot. And I, I mean, it took several tries, a number of tries, and probably a lot longer than I spent on some of the mansions themselves to to beat this last boss. I'm not quite sure how you do it uh, on the actual console without the, the aid of save states. I mean, I think you would you would have played it to get good enough to get through those mansions and get through, you know, to the last boss and then just played through it enough to to get, I don't know, to get good at it. But that's such a long playthrough. There's no passwords on this. There weren't any saves on this. This is a straight up turn it on, start from the beginning every time game. And I mean, you'd, you'd spend hours to get to that point just to die in, in literally five seconds before you could figure out what to do on that boss. That, that was my, I made it to him a couple times uh, when I was playing this, you know, years ago when I started this, uh, when, I, when I wrote about it. But I never beat it. And, and at that point, 
you know, I didn't think, oh, I'll find an online playthrough for it. So I did this time, and yeah, it, even on the best playthrough, they probably spent 15 minutes on that last fight. That's that's way too long for a game that would force you to go through the entire game that doesn't have the same mechanics as that boss fight at all for that boss fight. I think you. this is the point in the podcast where you both sound crazy to me because I didn't get to this point. And just imagining that there's a boss in this game is crazy talk. I... I think you're going to have to explain this a little bit better. I mean, does this just come out of nowhere? Is there a reason for this boss coming? Like, what what exactly happens for a boss to appear in a game that has no right to have a boss at all? Sure. So after you f- you scare the family out of their last house, the dog will still be in the house. You go into the room with a dog, and all of a sudden he turns into this giant demon. Because apparently that's why the dog was never afraid of you, because it was, I guess, also an undead demon of some sort. So then it takes you immediately to a hell level that you have to fight him in, uh, where you get those grenades that Billy mentioned. That It's not even just that they only have one range, because they do only have one range, and it's pretty far. I mean, it's probably a good f- half of the screen when you throw it. But there's not like, you know, there's not a, a target that shows where you would be throwing it to. So you're really just kind of blind throwing these grenades while you're getting attacked you know, from the get-go of the fight. It's not like it starts and it kind of gives you a clue on what to do. No, you start and hit the ground running, and if you're not ready to run, you get hit four or five times and you're done. And then you get to start over again at your first mansion. Awful. Wow. Wow. Keeping, pe- keeping with the theme of um, games that we've played that have last, last bosses that have, just, that have no reason to be in the games. Now let me uh, speculate with me, if you will. How far? Do you think Poltergeist, how far was he wanting to take it with his family? Would he have stopped after this third house? Uh, what, what was the goal? What, what do you think was his goal? Well, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, I, I, and this is a, here's a spoiler. Sorry, everybody, for a spoiler on a game you're not going to play anyway. <laughs> oh, but God. After you beat the boss, Poltergeist turns back into a regular human being for about three seconds. And then comically something large falls on his head and kills him and turns him back into Poltergeist. So I, my only thought me? is that somehow... Maybe in his Poltergeist, Poltergeist handbook, it explains if you can right the wrong that caused your death, you get to go back to be a human being again. I don't know if it really necessarily matters, but uh, I think he would have kept going until he could become a normal human boy again. Uh, yeah. I thought he was aiming for a big group suicide, maybe. <laughs> well, that would be a much darker ending. Was it ever specifically said? I, I didn't have the instruction booklet for, or I didn't read it or anything. But was it ever specifically mentioned that the Vito family here was responsible for Poltergeist's death? Yeah, it does. And in fact, in the game, it does. If you don't skip the cinemas, which I recommend skipping because they're long. Oh, I skipped all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It does explain that he 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 was killed by some. I want was he hit by a truck or something? It was something that was really basic, but. But the Sardini family owns, you know, the corporate oh, empire Sardini. that kills. I, I yeah. said Vito. I'm sorry. Vito Sardini. Well, the first name was Vito. So same thing. I knew what you meant. Uh, and and no one's gonna call us on that on that. I think we're good to go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, you know, it's kind of a just a revenge story. It doesn't even need to make a lot of sense. You know, Poltergeist, like I, I said earlier, is kind of a, a Bart Simpson ghost character he's he's got like a a leather jacket and the spiky haircut like bart had and he says you know he's he's like a skateboarder kind of guy um i i didn't he, i should have printed out some of the screens but the screens in between each level where he talks about each thing that happens where it'll be like that was a bogus trip we just had and you're like ugh, <laughs> it's very very early 90s cool but uh you know, he's it kind of works for yeah, this game totally got that early 90s character to to him that it, it, yeah, it's just it's basically just kind of like a Bart Simpson ripoff in polter, poltergeist form. 
but man, these days I I kind of enjoy characters like that. I, I it's something I miss. I know it's something I shouldn't, but but man, I miss some some really attitude filled characters like that. Nobody's radical enough nowadays. This is true. Well, when now, everybody was radical, there was no point. But now that not everyone's radical, it's kind of it's kind of interesting to go back and see that here. It's you know the fact that the whole way through, I was like, God, this guy is so goofy. I don't know if I can really say. I think this is an amazing game just for this character, but it turns out the hell levels did that for me, so we're good. Yes, totally. Now, uh, now graphics-wise, uh, I thought this game, for the, for the Sega Genesis at least, I thought it looked pretty good. Uh, uh, nothing spectacular. But, oh, we're talking general chaos-level sound in this <laughs> game. Just horrific. And, and good luck if, you, if you're going to insert some, some music from this game. Oh, you know it. scary enough right there for a Halloween episode. It's, it's Again, it's another one of the Electronic Arts Sega Genesis games, uh, which General Chaos and uh, Mutant League Football were both part of that that list of games. And and they do have some pretty terrible sound. I mean, they're, they're doing what they can with the, the Sega Genesis's sound ability, but it's pretty bad. It's got a lot of... It, it just sounds like metal grinding sounds in it. Um, I don't know how else to describe it. It's it's a very metal metallic music that the Genesis had, and this is very heavy with that. I mean, I'm sure at this point in the podcast, I probably put on two or three clips, and if people made it through those, then they know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's it, the music in this is not great. It's not good at all. It's not like a Toe Jim and Earl had that, you know, that that early '90s kind of funk sound to it. I guess R and B, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this does not. This is like I don't know what this is supposed to be, but it's. It is not enjoyable to listen to. When I played through it, I basically turned off the sound the whole way through. Because not just do you have some fairly painful music, but if I manage to not put in any of their screams when the family is scared, it's it, it, when it's loud enough, it hurts. I, d- I just don't think Electronic Arts, uh, those developers back then, knew how to deal with that, that Sega Genesis sound chip. I mean, it's always been very metallic sounding anyway, but... It seems just about any time you want to do a very specific instrument, uh, it, it seems like eighty percent of them just kind of kind of come off sounding like a you know an overblown you know electric guitar or something like that. It it does sound absolutely horrible, but it the animation in this game is so charming. There are so many different animations, uh, you know, the different things that you can haunt. Um, the animations of the the people or the the sardines and how they react to everything you do is is so it, it's really good. Uh, it's it's really funny. There's a, there's a lot of them that were actually fairly violent. There was like one um, where he made a a wall kind of like turn around and it chopped off a dude's arm and you know blood splattered everywhere. It was really neat to see stuff like that back you know for for as early as a game this was. 
but it, yeah, it, I, I think the game, uh, as bad as EA did music back then, I think they had animation and, and character art down to a T because oh, this yeah. it looks great. Yeah, and I, I was actually gonna gonna ask you guys if you had a favorite haunt from this game, but for some reason there's a uh, there's an area where there's a washer and dryer, uh, and if you hop into that. Out comes a, a pair, uh, just a pair of jeans that walks along on its own. And, and it scares them until it, until it falls down and, and blood oozes out. And I don't know what, I don't know what got into me at the time, but for some reason, when, when this pair of jeans jumped out, it was just the height of hilarity for me. I'm almost ashamed to admit how much I laughed at, at that scene. Uh, th- did any of you have uh, one that stood out? You know, there's a lot of them that aren't very good. Like I talked about the couch oh. that rumbles up and down or, um, you know, a TV that will just turn on and turn off or flash or like the screen explodes or little things. You know, I really like the, the dartboard that oozed blood that turned in the eyeball was, was one that even though that's an early one, it's, it's a pretty solid one to get you started and say, yep, this could be really cool. There's a lot of neat ways to, to scare this family. Um, I really like the ones where you moved around. Wasn't there like a, I think it was a plane in the little kid's room, a little action plane. You can fly around the room with him. I mean, again, it's not like it's a scary thing, but it's just kind of a neat. Uh, I felt like that actually did give you some more control on where they're running to. Yeah, there was uh, in, in a lot of different rooms. There was a lot of different, or there was usually at least one, it seemed like, that you could haunt, that you could manually move around. And when you did that, your, your ecto bar would turn red, and that's how long you could move it around before it would stop. Uh, you know, you had stuff like there was a rocking chair in one room uh, that you could move around and, you know, other stuff like that. But uh, it, it gave you a little bit more control because generally you don't have any control when you possess these things and make, you just kind of have to do it uh, and wait for the person to move over to it. And then it scares them. And, and that's what you do. Uh, but for me, I guess uh, I really enjoyed the blood couch. There was one that was just um, you could you could haunt a couch and they would come close to it. And uh, it would spew blood. Or there was the cowboy skeleton where you could haunt a, a specific doorway when they're out in the hallway. And if they got close to it, a fucking skeleton would come out in cowboy pants and a, a shirt and, and whatever. And he would just he would shoot his revolver a couple. It's so goofy and, and dumb. But I, I thought it, it really, you know, it was it was totally just what this game was all about. It's it's so goofy. And of course, there, like you said, there are some really bad ones. I mean, you said there's over 400 different things you can do. But uh, I was always surprised with the different things that you could you could find in these things. Well, yeah, there's plenty. That that's why you know we've talked a lot about how this game doesn't have a lot of staying power in it, and you know the hell levels definitely where you just wander through essentially a big brown basement while things try to grab you are, are not fun. But but the haunting aspect of the game, the actual you know the 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 house levels are really interesting. I mean, it, it's it's a different game completely than anything else out there like it. I think there's another game that's basically like a remake of this uh, called Ghost House. But other than that, there's nothing else like this. It, it's its own game. You know, it, it wasn't popular enough to make a sequel. But it's just neat to play something that has a totally different idea of what you're supposed to do than just shoot a lot of things or get from one to the other and not die. I mean, this is a totally different game. And, and EA had a lot of those during this time frame that were really just kind of out there. And I'm glad they made them. It kind of sucks that this was the best Beetlejuice game we were ever going to get. Because for us Beetlejuice fans, all we had gotten before was the craptacular LJN game on Nintendo. And uh, the, the idea of this one was definitely right up my alley. It was exactly what I wanted, but the execution of it just kind of fell flat eventually. That's it. I, this is just, it's, it's 
terrific premise, but it can only it can only go so far. Uh, you have a lot of fun in that first mansion. Uh, you kind of the first time you drop down to the hell level, you you kind of forgive it. Uh, there's another mansion, uh, and it's fun again. But yeah, uh, it's a uh, it's half a fun game that's just completely ruined uh, by the other half, which is uh, the complete opposite of fun. I think they still had to have something like that, though. I don't know if you could not have... I mean, specifically what they did was not a great solution, but if you didn't put a way in to limit what you were doing in the house, then you would just run through every room and use every item, and eventually they'd run out of the house. I mean, they you have to put in some way to limit and and make your, your character you know more efficient at scaring, or else it's just how fast can you hit the button. So I understand why they put something like that in there, but man... It, it, maybe it's just too long for each of those sections, or, or I don't know. They could have done just, anything else. It's one of those things, like the you know the haunting part of the game is so original and and cool. And you know, you mentioned that you have to have something. You do, but and, and for the same people that thought of this amazingly original idea, they fucking just put that in there, and it's awful. It, it's not even close to what you know the originality of, the, of what the actual haunting scenes are. So you're you're stuck with this cool you know you can haunt stuff and everything and then you go to this completely awful hell level that that doesn't even seem like it should be in this game it, it just didn't make any sense to me well then to top it off with a boss fight that that again comes out of nowhere it has a mechanic right. that you don't see otherwise in the game those those uh, red grenade things it just it feels like they they had you know they spent a lot of time developing the haunting piece of it and then they try to tie it together with some other things at the last minute to make it, I don't know, more of a of a standard game with a boss and, and some action scenes. I guess maybe they thought that would appeal to more people, but nah, it, it just made it so you, you didn't enjoy those parts of it enough where you weren't going to play through the rest to see it. I don't know really how uh, a better way that they could have wrapped it up. I mean, this boss fight just feels uh, completely... Uh, tacked on as if uh, you know someone stormed in the studio and said you know every video game has to end in, in a big boss fight so they just threw one in I, I don't know what kind of better conclusion what kind of better uh, odds you could face at the end I mean surely uh, I guess it wouldn't be that satisfying if you ran them out of the third mansion and that was the end of the game they had to put something in there but yeah, it's like Jeremy said uh, for for people who obviously were, were very creative and had a lot of uh, very interesting ideas as far as the, the first half of the haunting part of this game. Uh, it it kind of raises the bar up there. You would expect uh, a little bit more from them. And Personally, I don't know what I would have wanted to see, but I, I know this was far from it. I think this is a great 20-minute long game. I think this is one of those games, if you can find it, it's not too much money, buy it, stick it in your Genesis, play it for about 20 minutes, and you have seen basically everything the game has to offer. And you will probably have had far more fun with it if you, would have, if you play it for those 20 minutes than if you stick, to it with, uh, you stick with it to the very end. Well, and also, I do want to mention, I didn't know this until uh, I was doing the, my five minutes of research I do for this show. But uh, this was also re-released uh, in 2006 on a PSP collection called the EA Replay. It had really? this game, uh, Road Rash... Mutant League Football, which we covered previously, uh, and about six or seven other games. I'd never heard of it, and uh, honestly, at this point, that might be harder to find than just a copy of Haunting and a Genesis. That's the kind of thing, yeah, if I found this game on a compilation, like if, you know, it's not a rare game, but if it was on that rare replay, this would be one of those ones where I'd, I think I would put a lot of time into it, because it is so different than anything else.
So next month, we're going to continue our Halloween theme by reviewing not just one game, but all of these Splatterhouse games, uh, crossing the TurboGrafx to the Genesis, or even mentioned the terrible Xbox 360 one. Uh, I think there's a Nintendo one we will touch on. Uh, it should be an all-Splatterhouse extravaganza. But before we end this week's episode, we have some listener mail. Yes, we do. Uh, actually, I know since you said next month, I actually, I, I'm pretty sure you mean next next podcast. Next podcast. <laughs> I don't know how November. long this show is anymore. In two weeks, <laughs> we'll be doing All right. this. Anyway, anyway, we, we do actually have a, a listener question uh, today. And uh, this one is from Joe. And Joe writes in to ask. If you guys were at all like me as a kid, then you probably only got to have one gaming console if you were lucky. And that one console was usually decided by what consoles your friends had. Unfortunately, this meant for a lot of us, we probably missed out on a lot of consoles growing up. Are there any classic consoles you all wished you would have been able to own as a kid that you just weren't able to ever purchase? For me, the answer is clear. It's the original Sega Master System. Everybody had a Nintendo, and I had two friends at different times. Like, you know, one, one when the system was new, and one when it was kind of the end of the system's life cycle. But uh, they had Sega Master Systems, they had different tastes in games, so I got to kind of play almost the entire library of the popular games. I loved that system. I never owned one, uh, it, it wasn't something I was going to be able to buy. We bought a Nintendo, and, and essentially, like, that was our money. That's what we bought. That's it. You're not getting the other thing. And and if I only had to pick one, I still think we made the right choice. Having a Nintendo over a Sega Master System, far better idea. But some of the games on the Master System were just incredible. And I, I cannot... I, I have one now. I bought one years later at a KB Toys that did a closeout. I got the Sega Master System and like five games for $25. And I think it's the best thing I ever purchased. But that was the system, as, especially when it was new, you know, up until and including the Sega Genesis, that was the system I wish I would have had and I never did. I guess for me, it would have been the uh, that, that TurboGrafx-16. I, I was lucky enough, I, I had picked up uh, a Genesis. I picked up a Sega Genesis, and it, it just so happened that my, my father uh, wanted a Super Nintendo. So our, our house ended up with both of them, uh, which uh, I can't complain about that. Clearly, uh, I was better off with the, the Super Nintendo and a Genesis more so than the Turbo Graphics. Looking back, but at the time, I knew one kid who had a Turbo Graphics 16, and I don't even know where he got it from because I, I can never find it out in the stores. I can never find the console itself. I could find maybe uh, a handful of games, never the console. But not, and you know, I probably would not have been allowed to purchase such a thing anyhow. But I, I was just always so envious because every time I came over to this kid's house, he was playing Bonk's Adventure, and even though I'm sure Mario was uh, Super Mario World was probably a, a, a better side scroller, I, I was just so envious of this Bonk's adventure, and I, I just thought it, the system looked the, the system looked much better than, than the other systems. But I mean, I guess that was the one good thing. After we reviewed uh, Keith Courage, I felt a little better about having never owned a, a Turbo Graphics if if that's what I had to look forward to. Uh, but yeah, I, and I've never, I've never got the chance to, to buy one. Uh, of course, I could go online now, but I had one chance uh, back when I was in my, uh, my late teens to pick one up. I was at a flea market, and there was one still sealed up, uh, and it had a few games also sealed, uh, and I just didn't have the money on me. And I went home to, to gather it up, and 
I came back a few days later and it was gone. And that was the only time, still to this day, I have ever physically seen uh, a Turbo Graphics besides at my friend's house and, and at this flea market. And the only place you could buy those, because I am that guy for a bunch of my friends, the guy that had the Turbo Graphics was at uh, Lionel Kitty City or Children's Palace, both of which stores have closed. Probably not a coincidence. Now let me ask. Was great. Let me ask you this: when uh, when your when your friends came over and you fired up the Turbo Graphics, did you make sure not to put on Keith Courage? Oh no, that was the <laughs> only game we played. No, that was definitely not a <laughs> not a request, not a highlight of the system. Uh, I, I think we played a lot of uh, like Military Madness and uh, the the Legendary Axe and a couple other games. The TV sports games. My other friend that had a Turbo Graphics bought all their sports titles. They had some very solid sports titles. But, uh, yeah, you really wanted to, to push those with people. But then, again, the negative with the TurboGrafx-16 is you only had one controller unless you bought the multi-tap and a bunch of extra controllers. So you're talking about dropping another 100 bucks to play two-player you know, football with somebody. So you had to be really dedicated to pull that off. But, uh, yeah, you could only find those at specialty stores. They didn't sell them at Kmart's and the other places, you know, Radio Shacks, all those places that sold Nintendo games. None of them sold TurboGrafx. You had to go to a specialty store to find them. Yeah, I, I I think I mentioned this at one point, but every time I would go to my Toys R Us as a kid, they would always seem to have the Turbo Graphics playing on like a, a the TV and the behind the glass or something. And it, it was back when I guess when it first came out. But man, it looked really great. It was it's such a cool looking console. I mean, even like the you know you had like the the big um, cartridges for the the Nintendo and Super NES and Genesis, but the the turbo graphics had these cool little cards that you you know had the games on them and it just looked like it was a system from the future but nobody owned it and i i always felt bad about that i you know see the previews in magazines and everything looked pretty cool but it, it was just one of those things it's i i just i didn't want it as a kid just because no one else had it and i didn't get a chance to actually ever own it as a kid yeah, some pretty bad marketing in the U.S. Uh, it was it was big in, in in Japan, and I think it had an okay response in Europe, but pretty miserable in the U.S. Well, what was your system, Jeremy, that you wanted that you didn't have? I know this is going to sound insane, but I always wanted a Sega CD, and hey, this hey. is the only <laughs> this no is shame. The, ain't no shame in that. <laughs> yeah, I try to tell myself that every time I think about it. This is the only time that I think my dad has ever gave me good advice growing up. We were, I remember we were at the uh, state museum or something one Christmas. It was, we were doing like the, we brought my cousins to see Santa or something. And they were doing the stupid sit on Santa's lap or some shit at the state museum. And I was there and I just got a quite large, quite a large check from my, uh, uh, some, some member of my family. And it was enough to buy a Sega CD. And it just came out that year. And it was, you know, this was, Again, something that was like the future. You, you put a game on a, a disc and, you know, there's movies on it and it looks really cool. Nobody had seen anything like that up until that point. And it was cutting edge. And I told him we were standing in line waiting for my cousins to go on and sit on Santa's lap. And I was like, man, I, I think I want to get a Sega CD for Christmas with this money. And my dad looked at me and he was like, you know what? You can get a Sega CD, but maybe wait until like next you know like march or april because this is just came out you don't know what it is you know it could be uh you know a, a total bust you just don't know he's like wait a wait a few months see what you think if you still want it you could totally get it and i said all right 
Now, my dad was someone that had actually invested in the beta format back in the 80s. <laughs> so I think he knew what he was talking about. Um, and I never realized this until later. But uh, he, he, he steered me away from a system that I probably would have ended up hating uh, in, in the long run. And, but that was really one of those systems back in the day that I, everything I saw from it, I was like, man, that looks really, really cool. I really want that Sega CD. But my old man saved me from a, from a $200 check of, of regret. So I appreciate that one. Now, I, am, I am a proud Sega CD owner. And you may not be as, as, as pleased with your old man once I, I tell you that your father caused you to miss out on Slam City with Scotty Pippen. Oh, God damn it. How do you feel now? I, I, you know, I've seen many pre uh, YouTube videos of those uh, those FMV videos or games from back in the day, especially make your own video with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. That that one alone almost makes me regret not getting one. But I, I, I <laughs> proud Sega CD owner or not, I, I can't really imagine myself ever owning one. And, and really having fun with a lot of those games. There were a few games here and there that I, I think I would really enjoyed, but the overall impression that I get from that system and people that owned it was like, like just depression or, the, or this weird ironic. You, you, I, I had fun with it, but then you just kind of step back and frown about it or something because you didn't really mean it. But I just, I, I, I was glad I honestly never got one. Well, the only if thing you, Sega CD owners can say is at least they didn't buy a 32X. So you ha- they have that going for them. I had a Billy, Sega did CD. did you buy a 32X? Who bought a 32X in this podcast? Now, now I am equally as proud to say <laughs> I did not. No, hold on. I did not buy a 32X. While I enjoyed the Sega CD, I, I could see the direction that these add-ons were, were going in. So I skipped out on that one, even though I almost jumped on it just for the, uh, just for the WWF game. That came out for it. I think it had one extra character. I think it was Quang the Ninja, but Quang the Ninja was not enough to sell me on the 32 <laughs> I, I, I bought one I years later. X had a pretty good amount of games on you know that was that were all right, but I, most of what I've seen was just kind of like on par with like the Super Nintendo. So it, it was know. not a big upgrade. I mean, I, I I didn't have one myself when it was new, but after you know, because again, I still worked at the uh, the electronics boutique at that time, so. I managed to get one later on as a trade-in from somebody for $5, so I bought it from them for $5, uh, along with a Star Wars game and, and something else for it. And yeah, I mean, it was slightly better than a Genesis, but it it was not worth any amount of money. It you know By the time I had tried it, there was already better things you know on the next month over coming out, the Saturn and the PlayStation. There was no reason for me to bother putting any more money into that. So I, I won't consider myself really an owner of a 32X. I borrowed it for a very short term and then sold it back for $5. So yeah, those are the systems we wanted to have when we were kids we didn't have. And in probably most cases, we've played them since and realized we might have made the right choices, even though we missed them at the time. So, so thank you, Joe, for giving us that question. And if you have another question for us, please send it our way. Uh, we're on Twitter at Retrovaniacs. We're also at Retrovania.net. There's articles up all the time, three days a week, uh, along with this podcast every other week. And we're on Facebook. So find us any of those places. Send us those questions. And get ready, because in two weeks, we're going to hit you with some horror you've never seen before with a handful of Splatterhouse games that I've heard get more and more incredible as you go on. I'm so excited for this. I, I think everybody knows Splatterhouse 1 and 2 
but I think there's a not not as many people know about Splatterhouse three, and I'm really super excited about you guys playing Splatterhouse three. As the only person who finished the Xbox three sixty version of Splatterhouse, I imagine I'm going to love it because it's got to be better than that. So we'll see you guys then, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> see you guys next time. <laughs> Bye.